Welcome, welcome, welcome to Where Wine Takes You. This is a podcast all about the wine, the people, and the stories of Paso Wine Country and how all of those ingredients make Paso a uniquely special place to grow and make world-class wine, but also visit and experience for yourself. I'm your host, Adam Montiel. Now, the podcast continues to grow for a couple of reasons. One, the open hearts, open cellars, and open arms of these fantastic guests that we've been able to get. I mean, we've had some candid, incredible conversations, folks willing to be open and lay it all out there. That's huge. The other reason, simply put, you. Your willingness to listen and share this podcast with people is not only keeping Where Wine Takes You around, but we are climbing and growing and gaining real attention just like the wine region we love so much. When you rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, the little algorithm elves, they go crazy. They're working overtime, and this gets pushed onward and upward. We are consistently now a top-rated podcast. Now, considering there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts in the air above you right now, we are on the top 200 chart in the places and travel category regularly, and have peaked as high as 15. Now, me being a radio guy, that's top 20, baby. So we are humbled, we are excited, but we are not done. So if you have not yet, not done all three, rate, review, and subscribe, please, please do so. It takes just a second. And you know what I thought? It might be fun. I'll give you a little inspirational, some background music, if you will, to go do that right now. I mean, how cool would you feel to pick up your phone in slow motion? Yes. Okay, go ahead. And then rate review and subscribe to this see like right now i'll give you a few seconds go ahead oh look at you you are badass i love it if you uh if you rate five stars and leave a review and leave a comment in there ask a question i'll answer it here and if we mention it on the air you email me get a hold of me i will cover your tasting somewhere it's on me all right really really yeah really okay All right, well, it's still busy in the cellars as harvest is going on, full steam all about town. It is not uncommon to be stuck behind a tractor or two with flatbeds and macro bins with freshly picked grapes inside. I know this because I was, that was me on Adelaide Road like a day or two ago going like 16 miles an hour as these tractors were just chugging along. It is all good though. This time is very special here. We're going to talk to Joel Peterson. He's the executive director of the Paso Robles Wine Country Alliance, as well as the executive producer of this podcast. We're going to get his take on harvest in just a minute. Later, I'm excited to interview Joe Barden of Gray Wolf. Not only was he my very first winemaker interview literally 10 years ago this harvest, but he was recently named winemaker of the year by the Central Coast Wine Competition. That contest spans 10 counties over our state. I remember reading it in the hallway at Cal Poly, just so into it, you know, like, oh my God, I, I, I'm, I mean, I, I remember, I mean, I planted, when I planted my Syrah here, I mean, I planted rogue vines of Cinso and Grenache because I heard that those were great blenders with Syrah and, and I read it in a book, you know, and, and with Malbec, I threw some Malbec in with the Cab and the Petit Verdot because I was, you know, that was the only information I could get. You know what I mean? Back in like 98, 97, 96, there wasn't this great wealth of knowledge here. You know, it was, you had to go find it and you had to go search for it. And that was... Nor was like the internet and the, the connection that we all have to each other. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, you know, and I I chased it so much. And for the first time in my life, I was like, I loved the history. I, I think growing up, I always loved history. And 
I love the history of wine. There's worlds, you know, and countries that have immersed themselves in this business. And I just, I love the stories and I love being able to maybe be a story maker myself. More with Joe, or as we affectionately call him, Joji, in just a bit. Love catching up with Joel Peterson from Paso Wine. We had him on the podcast, I want to say episode three, where we asked Eric Jensen of Booker and Austin Hope, why Paso? That was a great episode. You got to check that out. I'm meeting with Joel downtown. I chose Thomas Hill Organics. The food here is insane. The vibe is second to none. And Debbie Thomas, the proprietor, she is one of a kind. If you have not gone to Thomas Hill Organics and enjoy a light bite or even a satisfying dinner with family or friends, you got to check it out. Great for a date night or even a large dinner. As Joel arrived, I had just packed down one of their spiced beef empanadas. Dude. Oh, the Duvin spiced braised beef, house-made creme fraiche, fennel, citrus slaw, dried fig pesto. Ooh, thomasillorganics.com. Check them out. I also have a great local Chenin Blanc in the glass. So give me that sound. We'll get by. We pass on round till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify good company. Well, cheers, Joel. Cheers. Happy harvest. Yeah, good to see you. This is fun. It is. This is great. I just saw uh, Debbie a few minutes ago, and this place, I was asking, I was like, you know, because everybody you talk to, you want to be like, how's it been? How you going? Right. You know, how are things going for you? And she's like, oh my gosh, totally busy. I mean, you can see the patio outside. I mean, yeah. Thomas Hill Organic is just bustling. And Friday, Saturday nights, I mean, it's nuts. Uh, so it's it's a, it's a an exciting time for them. It's been cool. October's been busy. You know, we have our Harvest Wine Weekend usually this this month. And obviously, it was a little bit of a muted celebration. But still, we have lots of people in town. And all throughout the week, the you know, lunches are busy downtown. I still feel like there's people coming and just enjoying the wines. I think it's been a few episodes since you've been on the pod. But one thing we talked about, and I'm still hearing this, is wineries are really digging the appointments. Yeah. I, Tasting I, by appointment. Too, it's just they they love the fact they can staff they can staff right, they can figure out kind of where to put people. I I went out wine tasting this last weekend, and I went to Stillwaters, and he was like, "Well, do you want to be on the Adirondacks, or do you want to be under the picnic table, or the umbrella?" Like, I actually had a, a, like a choice of where I wanted to sit. It was really cool. That's cool. So the winemakers were like, "I want to be on a quad with Paul yeah, Hoover," right, <laughs> which, which I ended up on. Nice, cool. I love it. That is a that's a good they, state. They can they can really figure out what makes sense. I think for where they want to put people and how to have that experience really really key. Yeah. yeah. So um, Joel Peterson is the executive producer of this podcast with Paso Wine. So I have to ask you, boss, how, how do we think the podcast is going? I, I think it's fun, man. Are you having a good time? I'm having a blast. Yeah, no, it's been it's been super fun. We're like, what, this is episode 10, I think? Yeah. And nine or ten. Nine or ten. Yeah. I feel like it's it's getting traction. I'm hearing really good things about it. I think that we're getting really good guests on. And I'm just I'm just so happy with the fact that we can take this wine and this this, this area, this region that we that we get to live in and share it with people not only in and around Central Coast of California, but Cal, all over California and all over the all over the country. So we're getting downloads from all over the whole the whole place. So this was really cool. I saw somebody um, I listened to your show in Puebla, Mexico, and I love it. Last year I had the chance to travel. Uh, to you know your wine country, da da da, and then there's uh, I mean just, you're, you're getting stuff from all over. Oh, look, I, we have a house also in Paso. We love to come up. It's great to share the area with people, so they want to come up and visit with nice. us. Yeah, I mean, so it is really really neat. And what we're finding is that especially folks in bigger cities like Los Angeles and San Francisco, they are itching to explore, but maybe not go super far. Maybe not get on a plane yet. And Paso is just perfect for that. 
That's why I think it's key. You know, we're, we're, we're halfway between LA and San Francisco. Fresno is like a few hours away. Bakersfield's close. So we're, we're that kind of, I think it's safe distance, but a safe place to go. And we've got great little hotels. We've got great Airbnbs. And so it really is just a, like a, you know, a knock on wood. It's a great option for us right now. We'll, we'll take it as long as we can get it. It's been yeah. really cool. Has there been any favorite guests that you've had or that you or little interviews you've heard? You're like, oh, damn, I can't believe I just that love, one. In terms of the podcast? Uh-huh. Yeah, I just, I've loved the, the fact that you've kind of get everyone to open up. I mean, I think everyone, like we were just talking about, has their shtick for a while when they're talking to a media person or they're talking to a taster. But I think if we if the podcast is long form and love the fact that after 10 or 15 minutes, you really get kind of honest answers. And, and a get, glass of wine. And a glass of wine or two <laughs> or three. And you really can get into that person's head a little bit of, of how has it been here? Because we have evolved. You know, this isn't Paso, you know, but this isn't your mom and dad's pastor, right? This right. is 30, 40, 50 years into this where there's there's tons of, of different brands. There's there's all kinds of new excitement and creativity in the, in, in the cellar with people doing Petnat and yeah. carbonic maceration right. and all kinds of new labels and secondary labels. And there's winemakers who are here like in their 20s and 30s, which is really fun to see. So it's, I think the, the pod is really opening up kind of the creativity and the diversity of Paso Robles. It's cool. It's cool to see where wine takes Paso. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because the whole the, the podcast is called Where Wine Takes You. And I love Love playing with that idea of you know whether it's I'm talking to you Joel Peterson or maybe uh, Gary Eberly or, or D- Daniel Dow, but uh, where wine takes Paso is is a huge exciting saga. Yeah, it's cool so. because it's it's changed so much. I mean, I can't remember if we were 20 years ago and it was still the wine scene was 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 kind of exciting and blowing up, and now you can see the town growing up around that. Kind of like Jason Haas said an episode ago about how really the wine really almost was was ahead of the town, and now the town's catching up with the, with yeah. the restaurants and that the other things to do like Sensorio and the different experiences zip lining over that, that kind of complement a yeah. wine tasting yeah you know you mentioned you have been in the game here for a long time uh, Paso has changed a lot but the vibe in Paso at Harvest has evolved in its own way as well it has I mean in a way it's, it's gotten bigger so in some ways it's gotten a little bit more you know siloed but at the same time there's still that kind of social fun aspect of Harvest when you're seeing winemakers or you're seeing people on the road the thing that's weird about this year with, with the pandemic and with COVID-19 is, is it's not as social because there's always usually those great harvest parties, right? Whether oh. it's either the wineries throwing them for their guests or the winemakers throwing harvest parties, you know, year-end things. So it's hard to not get everyone together and have that cold beer or that glass of wine with the winemakers. But, you know, we're still seeing them sometimes in town because it's a small enough town. But I can't wait till next year when we actually can have, hopefully, gatherings and see everyone and, and celebrate because it's a slog, right? Harvest is fun, but it's a lot of hard work for these yeah, people. Yeah, it really is. You know, uh, you bring up some of the tradition that encompasses Harvest Wine Weekend. Now, Paso Wine Country has three big weekends throughout the year. Uh, beginning in the year in March, you have Zinfandel Weekend, a uh, vintage, what are we calling it? What's the Vintage Paso. Vintage Paso, yeah, right? And, weekend, and that yeah. has been a huge weekend for a long, long, long time. And it's evolved and taken its own, got a life of its own. Then in May, we have Wine Fest. Yeah. And Wine Fest is just, it's the big marquee event in the park. It is the reserve event the day before. All the wineries are celebrating throughout Paso Wine Country. It is a, an extravaganza. But Harvest Wine Weekend was always uh, that third weekend in October, and it was always special because there was no real marquee event around it. It right. was always about, let's just get into wine country. All the wineries are doing something big. They're all creating really sexy, fun things for you to do and try whether you know, you're know you tasting wine with, with bacon or chocolate or right. this or that or whatever you're doing. They're getting so creative. And this uh, year, 
because of COVID, there was there weren't like you said there weren't the big parties, yeah. but there were these wineries really hustled to find ways to, of course, safely and under all the guidelines to get people to celebrate the we harvest did. of Paso. Yeah, we took the dollars that we normally would spend, uh, and we still spend them on getting people to Paso Robles. So we still come here, celebrate responsibly. We did a really cool video called uh, "Safe and Responsible," so you could talk about all the different things that we're doing to still offer those responsible tastings. But you know, wineries were open longer. They they opened up a lot more outdoor space. The weather worked out perfectly this year. So we're still able to have that, that kind of festival type weekend. You just, you just didn't see the big groups of like, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 people. It was just like groups of fours and groups of fives, which was still cool to see. You know, it's kind of more intimate, but it just still was great to see harvest being celebrated in a little bit different way. Yeah. Sure. We had, uh, I had some cousins come up and I was celebrating something with my gal. So I couldn't end up seeing uh, my cousins when they came up here, unfortunately, but they came up and they went to Epic and then they went to like Four Lanterns and, and then Volatus. Nice. Like they really did. And they were like, you know, and they were a little nervous because, oh my gosh, if I don't have an appointment, right. but they, they were able to get in. They were able to crash one place and a walk in. Some places are yeah. cool with that if they can fit, fit it in. And they really had a fun, fun weekend and Paso delivered for them. Awesome. Paso delivered. So, I mean, it, it, that's just three gals and there's another, there's a family, there's a this, and that's happening in multiples. But I mean, Paso delivered this harvest. Yeah, it's good to see because we still are, even though we're going to the more to that kind of structured tasting or, you know, do you have your reservation? We, I heard the same thing. People kind of rolled into town and were still able to kind of get in where they could or maybe called two or three hours ahead or called the day before and got in. But obviously some of the heavy hitters, you really need to get that that, that reservation two or three weeks in advance. But I'm glad that they were able to, able to yeah. have, a, have a good time. Okay, let's talk numbers, Harvest 2020. For someone who uh, cares about Paso wine country, they're like, hey, how was it for you, Paso? Uh, were yields big, small? Yeah. Was there an effect from the smoke? What do we know as of now? It's still early, but what do we know about Harvest yeah. 2020 on a big question. scale. It's super, super early to tell, but I think overall we saw numbers were a little down, you know, yield wise, but quality was still solid this year. Um, I heard, you know, some of the cab numbers, we did see that heat spike in August. And so what happens is then you get those, those extreme heat, heat spikes, uh, some of the, the evaporation, you know, it ends up kind of lightening the yields of those, of those fruit that, 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 that harvest. So that's a little bit of a bummer, but I still think you're going to see good harvest, good flavors. The winemakers are stoked about that. We did have a little bit of uh, smoke come down from the Dolan fire in Monterey. The good news about that is that, that fire was 90 miles away. So if that smoke did come down, it sat in, our, in and around our vineyards for a couple of days. But um, it just depends on, on how and if it really got into this, this the berry and the skin. Right. Of the so we're not, so a lot of people are still like... Some people were rejected some fruit from, from heat, but really not very much. We really got lucky because obviously the devastating fires in Napa and Sonoma were really... Mm. Those are the ones where these could see the flames and just kind of lost the whole lost the whole vintage, right? Yeah. Whereas in Paso, we really were in a good spot where the, the smoke came from a long ways away. And they're getting it all tested, and luckily we've got some great winemakers here to kind of figure out stuff in the cellar. Well, coming up, yeah. speaking of winemakers, we're going to talk to the winemaker of the year. Oh, awesome. Joe Barton, yeah. Gray Wolf. He was, did you know, he was my first interview 10 years nice. ago when Cork Dork started, literally 10 years did ago you know this him harvest. Did, how was that? I didn't. I just, uh, I, I got to know him and then was like, hey, we're starting this show. I have this idea. What do you think about uh, letting us, you know, interview you? Come up there. We'll, we'll get dirty. We'll do yeah. something. I don't even know what punch downs were or anything, you know? And it was really wild. But it's really cool to see that story evolve in the course of 10 years. And then, of course, his story evolve and his cool. wine. Yeah. Yeah. Evolve. Joe's just a dynamic person. I'm, I'm stoked you got to talk to him because we got, you know, he got winemaker of the year from the Midstate Fair Wine Midstate Fair Wine Awards this year. Um, long legacy of coming over here and obviously the tragic passing of his dad. But just like he's just done such a, a cool job with food and with spirits and make, making really cool white wines and really cool red wines. Like he just and he 
and he's the nicest guy in the world. Like, he just kind of embodies that soul of Paso Robles. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I'm dying to know, and I know people are as well, because they have asked me, what is Paso's plan for 2021? Yeah. What do we What do we think we can get away with? Know, what can we great. do? I mean, because you know we are all itching to get back yeah. into that same kind of vibe. I we am in. too. I know we are. I'm sitting here budgeting next year, looking at plans with my team and, and talking to winemakers. I really feel like the first part of next year is going to be similar to like to right now like you know no, no big large gatherings probably a lot of virtual stuff but I really feel like as we roll into summer and fall I think we'll be able to have some stuff next year so I'm, I'm, I'm I think right now tentatively I'm planning on like a, a smallish wine festival I don't think we're going to have you know three or four thousand people in a park in May but I think we can have some cool small events and so I think what we're our team's going to do is really figure out how do we get people to pass the robles who if they feel safe enough to get into a group of maybe a hundred or maybe you know a hundred and fifty we can do that maybe some, some some dinners i think we're probably we'll, we'll watch see how what, what governor newsom and the state regulations look like in, in terms of like of that but then i think by next year by the, this time next year harvest hopefully we're having some of those bigger events where we can be out you know be inside be outside and and have the intimate uh, experiences with winemakers and with wines and with, with those folks but i think luckily the cool thing about our organization is we still can still offer a lot of vir- stuff virtually as far as our education series to trade and to a lot of the education and information that we provide that can still happen it just has to happen a little virtually for now. Yeah, and that's one thing that I think the uh, the wineries have done a really good job on. We talked to like Tablas Creeks, uh, Jason Haas, and you know most of the wineries are doing some sort of um, even like remember Eric Jensen uh, several episodes back was like right when this hit is like let's get let's get on socials let's yeah. you know and let's do these virtual things and some people are taking I know you guys have done a great job with Chris and the, the video interviews that he's been doing you had to right I mean he's like I think everyone the, the we talked about it the big word is pivot or. <laughs> right. Yeah. Take a drink every time but, you hear the word pivot. But we we had to, and I think our our, our hopefully our, our membership and our association members were stoked about that because we, we we hopefully did it quickly and and in a fast enough time where we really were able to make a difference and offer some solutions and offer some help. And I think that, that we're going to do that, continue to do that the best we can. And the good news is we can still spend some of those marketing dollars to get people to pass the robles. We can still spend some money on on PR and getting writers talking about us. We can still send samples, so we can still do the, our work as an association to get the word about the, the Paso brand out there and also in the same time in the same breath get the consumers here when they can if they're coming from LA or San Francisco or Fresno or you know wherever Las Vegas I mean, around around the states we're now a brand where people can travel all over around the country from yeah how so. do you walk the line of okay we got this these members we're looking out for them we're trying to make sure that people are coming to visit Paso they're doing it safely they're they're uh, patronizing these businesses in a safe way but also you know representing this group to you know as you, you talk to state leaders, county leaders, yeah. and and really, you know, then you're kind of exercising your voice on behalf of these people. Right. I mean, it is very, very much a a tough and um, a very earnest line that you have it to is. walk. Yeah, we definitely like to walk that line. I feel like because there's times when I'm on, I'm on calls with other executive directors or state leaders or our lobbying group called the Wine Institute, who we're really kind of pushing to say what we can do for our people. But then at the same time, I'm talking to the winery owner saying, "Hey, be, stay safe, stay responsible. Don't don't have that big band next weekend." You know. <laughs> <laughs> and don't throw that big harvest party. So it's uh, it takes a little bit of political acumen 
but at the same time, it's, it's, it's a fun job, but it's also challenging. Yeah, we, we, we really have to be careful of how we, we'd walk that. But we've got to be there for our members. At the end of the day, this is a membership organization. They pay us money to market the region and protect and advocate for them. So we've really got to do, do what's right by them. And I, I, I try to have a pretty good handle on that by making phone calls and shooting emails and doing Zoom calls with, with wineries and winery owners here in Paso to make sure that we're, do, we're, we're doing right by them. Joel so. Peterson is the executive director of the Paso Robles Wine Country Alliance. They are the executive producers of this podcast. Well, thank you for one. I mean, Paso, and we've talked about this dynamic before with other guests. Um, what Paso Wine has done for the wineries and the members of Paso Wine Country is extraordinary because other wine regions have their groups that are similar to this and they're not as cohesive. They're somewhat disjointed. And this is what the winemakers in those regions yeah. will tell you. I mean, the fact that, and I've said this on this podcast before, that people will drive, you know, through the world-class wines of Santa Barbara Wine Country. I mean, there are some beautiful wines awesome. and wineries, and yeah. wine, of course, right? Yeah. And they will continuously drive through that wine country to come to Paso, shows something that the Paso wineries, and then, of course, this alliance that represents all of them is doing d- dramatically right and yeah. better. No, I put all that, you know, that praise back on our winemakers, you know, back from the, the early good old days of, of the Becketts and Justin Baldwins and Gary Eberlees and, you know, those Neil Zudsons of the, of the world who really said, no, we're going to raise, we're going to raise this as a group, as Paso Robles, the brand Paso first, and then and they're set, they're, they're, their, their individual brands come second. So uh, I'm, I'm blessed to be in this position because these wineries do it. And uh, it's great. I, I get to know a lot of other wine, wine um, regional executive, executive directors. And we have, you know, friendly, good conversations. They, and they do, they are in awe kind of what we do here in Paso Robles. And they're, and they're good people and they've got great wines and great wineries. But we do have a special thing here in Paso. And so it's fun. And I appreciate you doing this podcast for us. You're doing a great job. And the guests are awesome. The interviews are awesome. Let's just keep doing this. Let's do this next year. Let's, 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 let's next year. I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. Well, thank you uh, for the good work that you and your team does. The Paso Robles Wine Country Alliance, of course, it's essential that if you're going to make a visit up here, you got to go to PasoWine.com. The resource just for uh, fans of Paso Wine is incredible because, you know, you start getting to some of these weekends. You could check by winery, by date, even by activity. It is really dialed in. And um, there are a lot of other folks. I mean, we're sitting in uh, another member of Paso Wine, Thomas Hill yeah. Organics, one of the most popular restaurants downtown. Killer by food, far. Food. Oh my God, I just have those empanadas. Don't even get me started. Yeah. And uh, and the wine here, the wine list. So next time you come to Paso, visit PasoWine.com. Uh, Joel Peterson, Executive Director of uh, the Paso Robles Wine Country Alliance. You ready to talk to Joji or what? Do it, man. Let's do it. Thanks to Joel Peterson for the time and the chat. He's got me real excited about next calendar year here in Paso Wine Country. That's for sure. Well, our guest today is Joe Barton, Gray Wolf Cellars. And these guys have been around since the late 90s. The story how Joe became a winemaker has all the makings of a real inspiring story. If Joji's journey was a book, it would be full of plenty of ups and downs, but a theme of a good guy doing good and coming out just how the good guys were supposed to. Hope I didn't spoil it for you. You know, no, really, there's a lot to this conversation and to Joe Barton and Gray Wolf and Barton Family Wines. And Joe's been busy in a partner of Built Crowbar Craft Distillery, which you can taste right behind the wine tasting room, where he has blown up in popularity with the spirits. Recently won Best of Class for their gin, for their vodka, and for their rum. They got countless awards also for their whiskey and more. Now, at the beginning of COVID, I remember seeing these guys on the news. 
Yeah, they made news because they took the distillery and really turned it into a hand sanitizer factory, providing not only the community with a product that had just vaporized off the shelves, but donated hundreds and hundreds of gallons to first responders and essential workers. At this point, like I'm akin to a hand sanitizer sommelier, and this stuff is up there. It even smells so good. I'm like, you think I could take a... Mm, no, I'm not going to drink it. I'm No, I'm not going to taste it. Of course I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. I meet up. I really wouldn't. I meet Joe up in the same cellar. I chatted with him almost 10 years ago to the day for my very first winemaker interview with the Cork Dork Show. Now, things, things of course, have changed. Not in the cellar. It looks pretty much the same. But Joe was recently named Winemaker of the Year by the Central Coast Wine Competition. This competition spans from Santa Barbara County all the way up through the state, including San Francisco and Contra Costa counties. This is a big deal. It couldn't have been bestowed to a nicer, more capable, and more deserving dude. So give me that mm-hmm sound. We'll get by. We pass on down till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify good company. Had a glass in one hand and the microphone in the other, and he kept trying to smell and taste the microphone. <laughs> that means we've been doing this for ten years. That was literally Harvest 2010 when all those shenanigans happened. I the know. Cork Dork started, and you were the very first episode. Watching you, I don't even know if I know of a of a story quite like yours where. I've seen you from 10 years. I've tasted the wine, tasted it better, seen you now the distillery. I mean, like, really, this this growth of just, like, a man, a winemaker, a brand, a business. So many exciting things to watch that ride from afar has been, I mean, that's been exciting for me. Lord knows what it feels like for you. Yeah, it was funny. I honestly, I literally just got a text from Neil Roberts. You know, I, we just brought him up. He's like, congrats. And, I'm like, and that's really been, been kind of the nicest that's thing about this whole thing is is having friends reach out and congratulate you. And, and you know, I guess, you know, what, what you're talking about, I was like, you know, this award for me is, is about that ride. You know, I've, you know, talking to friends and family about it, I'm like, you know, it's, you know, I feel like this award, you know, like just like with Will for the grower and Amanda for the wine industry person, I think so much of these awards are about, you know, what you've contributed to the industry. And I know there's so many great winemakers around here. I don't think it as much is about the wine is as much as what you're, your path to the wine industry is and what it's been and, and how you've been a, a contributor to the industry. And I don't know. I so just, it's also kind of a word or you feel like you owe something to the process too. It is. I think, I, I think, I think that is what it's about. I think all of us are, it's an accomplishment to just be in this business, survive in this business. It is not easy. It's yeah. a, um, you know, you, you so have to be willing to never let up. Did you feel that more than ever? In the year 2020. Oh, no, no. I, you know, when I... 08? No, when my, when my dad passed away in 1998, I think I felt the most pressure of being a winemaker. Well, that's true because, I mean, let's rewind then for a second. We'll get into COVID in a second because it's interesting. Your dad came here from the Valley, from uh, Bakersfield, started a winery, and he had an untimely passing. And you, at a early, early 20s... Yeah, I was 24. Yeah, was 24 like, years old. I mean, now, obviously, yeah. you know... The man of the house. It's you and your mom, and your just you and just you guys. Yeah, you know, you know my, and, my my sister and, and brother in law were helping me 
me when they could at the time. Right. Um, and I, you know, speaking of other people, like Dan Panico sent me a text last night, and he was a super big help in all that um, early on. I but mean, you would become a winemaker. Like, there's, I mean, you I would become a winemaker. Yeah, I wanted to be a winemaker, or I don't know. I think my dad wanted me to be winemaking. I was thinking about going into the vineyard side of it, like you know, because I was I was currently doing that. I just got done with an internship at Kendall Jackson, just. Sampling grapes, you know, me and Jamie Onaveros, you know, running up and down the valley, you know, getting grapes and, awesome. and, and doing all that. And that was the first thing I really, that was the first time I really felt really connected to the industry and really kind of started to understand what it was. I was still in college. I was just like, my dad was starting it, but I was working the taste room, but I really wasn't exposed to the overall industry and how big it was. I didn't understand how big it was, just my, our little tasting room. And to have the rug swept, you know, pulled well, from underneath you. for me, I was you. driving up and down the coast, you know, I mean, my territory at KJ was... Gilroy to San Inez. Oh, you were so selling I, for you were a distributor. No, I was, I was sampling grapes. I was I was I was running harvest crews. Okay, so I was learning the grape business, and I was I was so intrigued at that point about just the the agricultural end of it, and how large the industry was, and how big it was, and and how significant of an opportunity to be maybe possibly getting into the wine industry, even though my dad was in it, but in a small way. I was seeing the 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 industry at the first time, and at such a large scale that I was like, wow, this this is there's a lot to this game. And I was just seeing it for the first time. And then that, that after that um, harvest, I, and during that harvest, I was helping my dad over with Dan Panico, Dover Canyon, um, making wine. And he was, you know, this was probably his second real harvest, you know, of doing it all himself. Yeah, what year are we talking? Like? 97. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going over at the end of my day helping him crush and, 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 and harvest wine. And we're literally, like I've told you before, we're literally crushing over there, putting him on a trailer in the bins, dragging the bins back to our property here, putting them underneath the oak tree and fermenting them and punching them down. I mean, that was like rudimentary, you know, yeah. literally... Caveman winemaking is how he's sure. doing it. You know, like, here's what we're doing. I'm like, wow, this looks cool, Dad. Let's make this happen. Right. We're going to make wine out of this? Great, cool. And, I mean, I mean, literally like a 40-year-old press, like a, a 40-year-old crusher. I mean, that's what, what was going on in past. I mean, obviously not – we were probably more caveman than most. I mean, there was, I think, probably Gary Everly and Justin Baldwin and Art Norman and Tobin and those guys. They were maybe yeah. doing it a little bit more for real <laughs> at the time. <laughs> Doug Beckett, all those guys. Right. We were making a run at it, and um, and I was just helping. You know, I was just being a part of it. You know, I was my last year of college, just trying to figure out what I wanted to be. And then, yeah, my dad unfortunately had his his accident, and yeah, I I, I can always remember this. It was my best friend since growing up, Ernie Phoenix. He he came over. He didn't wasn't able to make my dad's service, and and uh, so he came, and he and we were in the barrel room, and I we climbed up on top of him, and then at the time, I mean. This is the first time we'd made a bunch of wine. I mean, I, I think my dad did like 75 tons that year, which is a lot. We're doing 100, 120 over here now. I mean, 75 all underneath an oak tree is a lot of fruit to make. And um, I remember sitting on top of those barrels, you know, January, February 1998. And I'm, I'm looking around this. My buddy Ernie's like, hey, what are you, you going to do? What do you? What is all this? I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm like, I, we actually climbed up on the top. They were stacked three high. And I was like, I don't know. We should try some and I should see what we have here. And then, and that was, that was it. That was the start. I mean, it was literally me taking control over 8,000 gallons of wine and figuring out how to make wine. And then sell it. And sell it and brand it and run a, run a taster and run a winery. And I, 
I just laugh now when I think about how little I knew. Sure. You know, I just really was as green as green could be. And you just, I look back at now and that's why I'm thankful because without those guys back in those days, we weren't going to make it. Was it weird to get to a point in your winemaking career where you thought, well, I think I, I actually, I make better wines than he, I passed him. I don't think that didn't take very long. <laughs> it didn't take very long. No, no. My dad was really, really green too. So, yeah. uh, you know, his, his skill set was. So what do you think your dad would say now? I mean, no, obviously a lover of wines. If he were to taste some of these wines from right now and then read about you getting winemaker of the year with this brand that he started. You know, I think he would, I think he always wanted that. I think he knew that I was searching for something. You know, my dad was very pragmatic about being brave and, and, and taking a chance at something. I was a little more conservative. I think, you know, my mom and I always, you know, were probably more fearful of change. And I think my dad knew I struggled with that. And I, and I, and I know he wanted me here and he wanted me to take the adventure of wine because he knew that I didn't know really what I wanted to do. And, um, like you could find yourself in wine. Yeah. He just, in the, in this industry, he just, I, I, I know he could, he could tell. And I was at first and it was weird too. Cause I never really found a lot of interest in a lot of like things. He knew wine would take you somewhere. Yeah. We call this podcast where wine <laughs> takes you. He literally knew wine would take you and somewhere. My, my, my very well. Cause I remember too, when I, cause I, I had, and I went back to school a little bit and I remember at that point I started reading books. I mean, and not to say that I didn't read books in college, but I mean, I really wanted, many of them. I really wanted to be interested. I remember getting this book that was nothing about Central Coast winemakers. And it was guys like Alphonse DeBruno, Bill from Foxen. I don't know. I think John Alban was in there. It was a really recent, and it was a kind of a Linguist. new. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think Linguist from Coupe. I mean, it was just like these kind of like rogue Central Coast guys. Yeah. You know, and I really, I mean, I. I remember reading it in the hallway at Cal Poly, just so into it, you know, like, oh my God, I, I, I'm, I mean, I, I remember, I mean, I planted, when I planted my Syrah here, I mean, I planted rogue vines of Cinso and Grenache because I heard that those were great blenders with Syrah and, and I read it in a book, you know, and, and with Malbec, I threw some Malbec in with the Cab and the Petit Verdot because I was, you know, that was the only information I could get. You know what I mean? Back in like 98, 97, 96, there wasn't this great wealth of knowledge here. You know, it was, you had to go find it and you had to go search for it. And that was almost like the internet and the the connection that we all have to each other. uh, Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and I, I chased it so much. And for the first time in my life, I was like, I love the history. I I think growing up, I always loved history and I loved the history of wine. There's worlds, you know, and countries that have immersed themselves in this business. And I just, I love the stories and I love being able to maybe be a story maker myself. Yeah. Well, I mean, your story has been certainly one that I have been a fan of following ever since. I mean, literally, like we said, in the beginning of this, you were the very first wine interview I ever did. And it was the harvest of 2010, 10 years ago. We have a wine, you bought three really special wines. In fact, four, because we're drinking a, uh, one of the current Chardonnays right now. Uh, what are we drinking and what are the special ones we're going to get into? Uh, right now, first of all, it's a Chardonnay. Um, this is not a Paso Robles wine, um, mostly, mostly because I, I do really love Chardonnay, um, and I, I white burgundy might be my, my absolute favorite wine of all time. Probably the best experience I've ever had. Yeah. Um, actually, <laughs> crashing a Grand Cru vineyard in Burgundy with Brian Devlet and McPrice Myers oh. was probably one of the funniest 
events we ever had. I think just, I heard that story. Yeah, we just rolled right into it. We're like, and you were just like yelling outside. Like Ryan was just yelling outside trying like, to open. Yeah, no, 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 no. That was different. We actually took our van and drove into one of the Grand Crew vineyards and set up shop and had lunch. <laughs> we thought for sure somebody was going to show up. They're like, there's like somebody just like because it's like there's little stone walls around it. And, you know, you thought for sure like this is sacred ground. Yeah, but it's out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, not in the middle of nowhere, but towns. You know, you can see town kind of far off. And I'm thinking, we're like the little village. We're like, there's definitely somebody who's going to be seeing this and be like, drive up, you know, French. We're like, what are you doing? You stupid Americans, get out of our Grand Cru vineyards. Yeah, didn't happen. That's had a whole lunch there. It was amazing. Oh my gosh, that's and drank Grand Cru. Yeah, Chardonnay. I Mer- love it. And a Merceau. It was fantastic. So this is a Chardonnay. You brought out some really fun I ones, did. including a 2000 vintage. Yeah, so this is Chardonnay to start, and it's called Secret Garden. Oh, of course, from Bruce Springsteen. Ah, yeah. Yeah. You, of course you would know it. Yeah. You're a badass. Yeah. That's a song thing. I just love that song. It's a cool song. It's a great song to put. In fact, I'm going to do it right now. You're I'm going to do it. Oh, but no, I'm not going to play it right now, but when this podcast airs, I'm going to play the song, and then actually, it's a great It's a great song for montage. Mm-hmm. So, like, you can play little bits. Like, it goes like, do. I'm going to sit on top of those barrels, you know, January, February 1998. And I'm I'm looking around. This my buddy Ernie's like, "Hey, what are you what are you gonna do? What do you what is all this?" I'm like, "I, I don't know." I'm like, "I we actually climbed up on the top. They were stacked three high." And I was like, "I don't know. We should try some." That was it. That was the start. That was the first time I really felt really connected. Taking control over 8,000 gallons of wine and figuring out how to make wine. It's an accomplishment to just be in this business. Surviving this business, it is not easy. Oh. You know, you... You so have to be willing to never let up. Like, and then they play a bit of you going like, so, you know, <laughs> are you sure you're supposed to step on the grapes like this? And then you go, <laughs> it's really fun as a montage. Awesome. So you're going to get a montage with Joe Barton. Um, so that's really cool. I love it. Yeah. Secret Garden. No doubt. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I always, I always try to, because most of my songs are pretty obvious. I mean, you know, the brands, you know, we'll have the dance with oh, yeah. Brooks. We'll have, you know, we've Mr. Jones, hot blooded, you know, simple man, staying alive. You sure. name it. Got them all. This is the one I always tell people to see if they know. And then nobody knows it. And you obviously, of course, it's your business. So I would hope yeah. you would. Well, sure, the boss. Man, the boss. You know? I mean, I'm a West Coast guy, but I still know the boss. So good Chardonnay. I love this Chardonnay. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it's part of the white wines. You know me. I love I love making white wines and drinking white wines. I mean, I love a good Chardonnay, but, you yep. know, we make our Claret. We make our Picpoule. We make our Grenache Blanc. We make our Viognier. Oh, when I was making a Picpoule, I made sure I called you. That's right. Yeah, yeah got I some- mean... The skin contact. Skin contact. Yeah, you that, weren't for it. I mean, not I, a lot of people I, were. You no, know, actually, thinking about it again, I actually think it was a good idea. Really? Yeah. I don't think you've said this to me. No, Thank God you I, did well, it on a I, microphone. I, yeah, I just, I think my, my mentality's changed. We made an orange wine this year. You made an orange wine this year? <laughs> yeah. oh, you know, I came in the cellar, you're like, oh, we got a carbonic Grenache. I forgot orange. about the orange. I got a pet Shoot, we should have we should have tasted that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It was made out of Vigne. Yeah. So, yes, I have a whole new respect for skin contact. I've done small skin contact before. Yeah. On, on white, but, you know, very short term. And this uh-huh. was the first time where Brad was like, 
you know, Brad and Ellie, who's, you know, uh, our new winemaker uh, this year, and um, he's killing it. And he's such a young, playful kid that wants to just do all this stuff. He's like, sure. let's, make a, let's make an orange. I'm all, I've never made an orange. Let's do it. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. You know, making, I'm glad you're letting him do that. I think I'm that's, glad you're well, and it's good for letting me. him explore. It's good for me to start seeing, you know, I mean, and I, I've always... I've always known that if you're going to be in this business and you're going to stay relevant, you have to chase new. But it's also cool as you like letting him kind of feel things out, have some ones that wines that may turn out crappy, have the wines that turn out great, but just feel it out. I feel like there's a lot of talented wine uh, makers around here. Maybe they work for some brands and I can think of some, I'm not going to really go into them who they are, but it's like, man, don't lose that guy because if that guy gets a, a wild hair to go somewhere else, you're going to lose a great winemaker. Well, Let him explore a little bit, but well, I guess I'm a certain that, amount of time you want to rein him in too. I've had great guys work for me over the years and, and um, you know, and you know me, I'm always, I'm part of the process. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm in there every day with those guys, you know, and I, I had more fun this year than I've ever had. I think really? Because we just, we explored. We, we really got back to going into the idea of like, let's go see what the world is you know, I just feel like this is a, an, a great time for passing. I could see you genuinely enjoying the idea of walking through the cellar with a thief and tasting where things are at. Oh, you, you're, like you're sharing with me. Oh, like, let's go. Let's try we, this. We've never, I've never tasted fermenters as much as I did this year. You know, we, That's really, cool. we really got back to just no, no whole bar, you know, native fermentations and daily, I mean, hour not hourly that's a little bit much but i mean just you know twice a day we're tasting him we're seeing him we're smelling him. and i think winemakers all do that but i think this year i was especially kind of reinvigorated by native fermentation that we just were i mean just watching them seeing them grow and and i just i just feel like i hadn't really explored that much and that's why i wanted to do more explore the carbonic yeah Doing the pet nat. I mean, I'm like, I want to do all these things. Let's have fun. So you this know? harvest for you, it's not even so much. Obviously, there's a lot of work that goes into harvest, but you're really having a lot of fun with it. I feel like I just, with 2020 for me was, as you saw with the sanitizer and everything, it's like, you know, when you, honestly, for me, I think when you, when you get challenged, that's usually when I, at my best. I mean, we were talking about when my dad passed, I, it's probably some of the, that was probably my at that moment in time, for sure. But even as I look back at it now, I was probably at my best at that time. I mean, for me, chaos and adversity is really when it, usually when I, I, I really, shine. I shine. Yeah. And, and I thought this year was a perfect example of, of when, I, when I see that, that is when I'm usually invigorated to be like, okay, game on. Yeah, so people didn't even really know of the term if you were outside of the industry, PPE, and you're hearing things like masks and sanitizer, and uh, you guys were one of the first, your, your distillery, which we'll talk about, Crowbar, uh, was one of the first to get out sanitizer in a major way, not even just to people, but you were giving hundreds of gallons to yeah. first responders and yeah, stuff. Yeah, and we, and we were... And we it was were, legit, because you buy Purell, you're getting like, you know, 60, 65%. You were doing like 80% liquid sand. I mean, this stuff was bomb. Well, I still- and it was funny, too, because I literally was, I mean, that was, you know, Brad and I were in here, like, the week or two weeks before everything got shut down. We're right like, in this room. Yeah, right in this room. We're like, uh, let's see. Um, we're out of Sani. You know, it's... You can't get it anywhere. Can't get anywhere. There's a lot of people around that are showing up. And Should have figured out how to make toilet paper. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, the sanitizer was definitely the the thing that made us relevant you know we were able to we weren't able to pour we weren't able to taste we weren't able to do anything but we were still able to sell our stuff out of the front door and you know our sanitizer was needed and people would come and grab the sanitizer and then at the same time they would you know buy a little wine you know show support buy you know buy a little bit of booze show support and that that saved us it really did business like yours worry about 
What kept you up at night during all this nonsense? I just worried about, honestly, I think some of the biggest stuff you worry about is your staff yeah. and your people. And, you know, can you continue to employ them? You know, are you going to be able to continue to employ them? I mean, it's, that's, that's, the, that's the unfortunate part, especially when, you know, you have good people. And you've, you've invested in them. They've invested in you. And you all of a sudden aren't capable of, uh, of employing them anymore. That's, 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 that weighed heavy on you. Yeah, it's debilitating in a lot of respect. I mean, you can tell people to go get unemployment and stuff like that, but at the same time, it's, you know, you don't want to be there. I don't want to be there. I don't want to have that. I want to be able to say, no, no we, we can keep going. We can push through this. Yeah. You know, that's, that's to me, a victory. I don't, shutting my doors and, and stopping them, to me, wasn't an option. Yeah. I'm Joe Barton, Gray Wolf. This is a 2000 Barton Family Reserve Meritage. Let me tell you, the uh, you know how there's like that foil on the top of a, mm-hmm. a bottle of wine? Did you cut yourself? No, but this foil, <laughs> the underside of this foil hasn't seen the light of day in 20 years. Yeah. It's a 20-year-old bottle. Foil right there. I'm super lineage. stoked on this wine. This I, I, wine this opened up bomb. Great. Uh, I, you never know. That's I, I, why I got a Bordeaux. I mean, that's what, and that's the, the, the type of wines that I, I, I make on the, uh, on, on the Bordeaux side. I mean... The funny thing is, I think I still make this style of Cabernet. I think for a while there, we were all trying to make pretty ripe, extracted cabs. Um, but back in those days, you know, these were, you know, you weren't trying to make a super ripe cab. You were trying to make an elegant cab. And I think maybe we all went to the ripe side, but I've kind of gone back to the elegant side. And like and This one so, aged beautifully. Exactly. And I think that's, to me, that's what we, you know, we talk about here all the time is that, it's one thing to make a ripe, opulent Rhone wine. I mean, I think they, I think they can, they can handle that ideology more. Whereas, you know, Cabernet or Bordeaux-based wines need elegance, and then the proof is that you know, twenty years down the line, you're like, that is really good. Yeah, smooth, soft tannins, a bouquet. You get the mint, little fruit still too. You get the eucalyptus that comes through. Yeah. There's, there's no, there's no old characteristic. No, you know, kind of brings it full circle. Yeah, yeah it's a, a testament, obviously, to the winemaking, but also a really a testament to the ageability of Paso wines, huh? Yeah, this is, this is great. What's the evolution of the people in Paso? That's always been one thing I know from the people here. I mean, it's the reason why the Cork Dorks became successful uh, was literally people like you who are willing to take time, answer you know, stupid questions from someone who doesn't know anything about wine. And it, it just, you know, it, it was just really, really fun to do. Uh, the people here are pretty incredible. The evolution of that with you over the last 20 years. I, once again, your, your question has really stepped up. <laughs> <laughs> no regular Keith Morrison, Dateline exactly. ABC. I'm, like, I'm like a Larry King right now. I'm like, oh, well, thanks, Larry. Yeah, let me see if... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the people are a big part here. Well, you, you know, it's, of the it's, magic. it's changed so much because of the amount of talent that's come here. You know, I mean, and that's, you know, and when you're successful and you, and you're discovered, you're going to have a lot more talented people and, you know, more interest from abroad that you wouldn't have seen. I mean, I, you know, on like on that podcast yesterday, I was, I was mentioning the fact of like the, you know, who Brad were for the Hosses and, and the Aseos, you know, I mean, they showed up in the, you know, the late nineties or even the, the Hosses showed up earlier than that. I mean, they originally probably showed up by the time we showed up where, you know, they saw the, the terroir and they, you know, and, and, and we're ahead of the game, but then once it got discovered, then yeah, there was just an influx of people and industry and, and, and money, you know, and, um, 
um, just overall influence that has changed the landscape of Paso for sure. Um, you know, there'll be varying degrees of acceptance of that. I mean, some people think it's great. Some people probably won't. I mean, if you grew up here, yeah, it might be a little bit more than you wanted it to be. You know, I kind of came in here early and saw Paso from back in the day, and I enjoyed that. I was having some fun discussions with a couple of my friends, um, you know, with the winemaker deal of, like, talking about the old days. It was simpler. It was easier. It was wasn't as lucrative, <laughs> you know, but it was, it was more classic. You know, we really felt like we were pioneers, you know, now it's, it's a business, you know, and, and now it's a little bit more competitive. Um, but you're finding those visions of the same kind of people like myself who showed up here, my dad who showed up here, who didn't want to be conformed to how you were supposed to be, you know? And I mean, you find that, wanted to do it their own way. Yeah. Kind of like, like like Stefan, yeah, all of them, or like, you, like all you, of them, right? You, yeah, I mean, you could, I mean, you could throw a you could throw a stick out the, the door right here, and like each and every one of them are that kind of mentality of like I came to Paso because I didn't want rules, I didn't want to have to do it because this is what I was told to do, or I had to fit into this, or I I had to know somebody, or I had to, you know, even very wealthy you know individuals who came here, they wanted to be here because they were avant garde, they were mavericks, right? They wanted to they wanted to be able to be discoverers of things and. I think that's the mentality in Paso. It's, it's very much the, maybe sometimes the credo of Paso. It is the wild, wild west. Well, now not when you go to a restaurant, you don't just have the ability to choose a local wine on a wine list, but now a local spirit. It's so cool. I mean, you guys have done some incredible stuff with Crowbar. And I remember when you were first in this kind of like, it must have been the, the, fun, the most fun R&D I've ever seen two dudes do. Because you went all <laughs> over to the whiskey tastings all over the world, all over the country, uh, to find out what you wanted your identification to be with Crowbar. And I know, you know, this is where wine takes you, but when wine takes you to Grey Wolf, you are just steps away from... A daiquiri, you know, like we're having right now. An award-winning <laughs> distillery, yeah. And this is great. And daiquiris are cool because people think of daiquiris as like these frozen, like sugary things. Like an, a daiquiri is about as old oh. school as it gets for a cocktail. I thought COVID was already bad with the drinking, but like I, if I had this right next to me... When you're a connoisseur, it's not alcohol. It's right, like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's tasting, it's research. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Crowbar is really blown up, dude. I mean, from the first spirits you were making was like a gin, a barrel-aged gin, and then like a pink gin, but now you got a ton of whiskeys. We got another brand we're doing the vermouths i mean you've really turned this into something can you make i know obviously winemaking you make millions of dollars uh is distillery is having a distillery oh yeah can yeah, you right. can you make money out of it is it tough how does it rate to wine uh well we talked about this earlier uh, you know it's they're not on the air though no yeah but yeah i mean it's, <laughs> it's pretty i think that that a little equation I, I i threw out there was was pretty accurate which is you know there's it's all volume based, you know, like you're going to sell when you sit down into a restaurant, you know, you're going to you're a beer, a glass of beer is going to get consumed within 15 minutes. A bottle of wine is going to last the night. A bottle of booze is going to last a week, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, there's always seems like there's a little bit more margin in the in the booze, but it, it also takes a lot longer for it to turn over. Um, has it been essential that during like COVID restrictions have been lightened on uh, distilleries? We've been able to ship and do some things, which yeah. is cool, and I hope those hold. It's just a different world. It's a little bit more like a younger generation. I feel like they're, you know, I think they're interested in wine. I think they're interested in in all things. And cocktails are just really cool and interesting right now. Like we're having a daiquiri right now. This is a traditional daiquiri. This isn't like m- me and you growing up daiquiris. You know, we're like, hey, mom, can I get a virgin strawberry daiquiri? It was a slushy. This mm-hmm. is not a slushy. This is a 
a traditional daiquiri on ice and shaken. Um, and all daiquiri is literally just three things. Yeah, exactly. Rum, sugar, lime. Yeah, and it's perfect. Yeah. It's refreshing. It's clean. And you could drink, you know, these all day long. And I think there's this... It, spirits now are harking back to what it used to be. I think it's like, you know, you're going back to your 40s and 50s and you're maybe even your 20s. And, and I feel like, you know, just, you know, talking with wine with Brad, I feel like, you know, you know, you know Brad's 30 and his, I feel like his generation is like so much more educated and, and into these like cocktails and these like. Well, they really are asking a lot of questions and they care about what they're consuming. Exactly. From the food to the drinks to the experimental drinks. Like maybe when someone who's in their 50s now might not, maybe they're not against trying new things. I think the younger demo is seeking them out. I still remember. This is hilarious. I remember going into the Cal Poly computer lab because we didn't all, you know, nobody had computers, didn't have personal computers. And I remember the first time I used Microsoft, I didn't know how to turn the damn thing off because I didn't know you had to click on the little icon thing. <laughs> That's how freaking old I am. <laughs> and that was my college experience. So right. we, we were still using like word processors and, and stuff like that. We didn't have laptops. We didn't have internet. So I didn't even have my own cell phone until I was, 30, not 30, I was 26 years old when yeah. I finally got my own cell phone. It's a trip because yeah. I think you're a little older than I am. I'm a little older than Brad, but it's interesting because I, I feel kind of lucky because I feel I got to about 17, 18 and I had very much a childhood where we were outside and we didn't have all that garbage. But then when I'm 18, it's like, oh, you got an email address, you got a cell phone, you know, maybe you had a pager in high school, but like, you know, so then I had like my childhood being kind of free from that. But when I became a young adult, it was something that I got into. So I very much feel like I am searching and, and trying trying to like use this information that we have at our fingertips to learn. Well, yeah, now we have the power to make educated decisions on where we want to spend our money. Yeah. I mean, before it was like, oh, you have a great brand or some cool packaging. Awesome. But now, I mean, with a cell phone, you can look and see, you can look up reviews or see if that's something you really like or want and you can get the backstory. Um, but we're doing it with everything. I mean, I do it when I go to, I, I open my farm box and I go, kohlrabi, what the hell is that? I've never heard of it. Am I saying it right? I go, boom, boom, boom. I look up a recipe and we're making kohlrabi slaw with mahi 25 minutes after that. It's wild. Amazing, too. How have I, how have I interviewed the winemaker of the year? How did this interview go? What does the winemaker of the year think? I think it was fun. That was a good memory lane. It was fun, wasn't it? Yeah, no, nah, it was fun. I mean, I, I, it wasn't, uh, no PR. You know what I mean? You know, I mean, talking, you know, and, and, and getting, you know, and I hope people who listen to, to the, when me and you get together, I think, you know, I feel like we, we, we talk about just the realities of stuff. I mean, I'm not, we're not promoing stuff. I think I only said Barton family and Grey Wolf maybe like two times. We have such a, a history with each other and, and I think we appreciate where past those come. You know, and I think we really love the fact that we were a part of that in some way, shape or form. Yeah. And I mean, you knew a great job. I mean, I, I give them props to you. I mean, oh, you constantly... So you constantly represent our region so great. And I mean, not, not just around here, not just local radio. I mean, you travel. I know you travel. And I know you're, you, I mean, you're, you're, much of a, you're as much of a face of the Pass Rebels wine country and the Central Coast as anybody. So you should be proud of what you've accomplished, too. And I, I really appreciate what you do every day. Oh, that's really sweet. I think you're being too generous, but that's very, very nice. And right? I'm up and at him in the morning, too. I love it. <laughs> that's what I want to hear. <laughs> I love it. Well, I really liked what you talked about as far as harvest and, like, getting that spirit about you this year. I mean, it's really cool. I think it was kind of right before Brad came over here about just, you know, how this has been one of the more fun harvests he's had ever. 
because and a lot of that's because of this this new life breed then and and what this year has brought and all the decisions that have come and trying new things and exploring stuff i mean it's really cool to see where wine has taken this brand where wine has taken you joji you brad and it's 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 really neat you know Wine has taken us all a lot of places. I know it's taken Brad around the world. It's taken me from a young kid to Cal Poly who was didn't know what he wanted to do with his life into, crazy enough, a, the winemaker of the year. I could have dreamed of it, but I never imagined it would come. And I think of that story you told at the beginning of this conversation with you and with Ernie yeah. on those you know three levels of- up, high up on some barrels right after your dad passes away like... What am I going to do? Like, yeah, I, I, and, and you know, you, you when you see it through, and that's that's a that's a period of time. I mean, that's twenty something years, and and I I just hope it kind of it resonates with the rest of our community and the rest of our of our wine business that this isn't short timer stuff. We're all investing in our community, and we're all investing in our wine region, and we should take all as much pride as possible with it. This isn't an individual play. This isn't about where the Paso Robles wine takes Joe Barton. It's where the Paso Robles wine takes the, the Paso Robles wine community and what we can do to better that and what we can do to continue to, to contribute to that. Because I feel like, like I say, my other, the other winners, Amanda and Will, I mean, they are grinders too. I mean, Amanda is that's the hardest working. She's a machine. She is a machine. I'm so, I've, I've been so impressed by her. She reminds me of my wife. She's just so strong and she's so willing to keep pushing the envelope. And Will is just... He's one of those guys who is a lifer. He will farm grapes and like his dad, and he will do a, an amazing job his whole life. And, but, you know, he won't, he's not looking for praise. He's not looking for thanks. He just knows that this is what he was meant to do. And uh, he's representing the people who grew up there. He's a Shannon boy, you know, and, and, you know and, and Amanda grew up here. They're representing our community. And I think, and I'm trying to represent our community as well. I hope more of us see this whole group of, of winners as of people who have invested in our community and invested in our wine region and who are going to continue to do so and that I, I want us all to know that as a group and as a whole, as a wine community, if we have this mentality, all boats will you rise. Know, will the, rise. The tide rises the all tide the boats. will rise. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm really bad at that quote, but that is what we used to always talk about about Paso 20 years ago. Yeah. There was always some, there was always going to be somebody. For Grey Wolf to succeed, Paso's got to succeed. Well, and yeah, and I think you'd always see somebody who would do well and it would be maybe an outlier at the time, but it was knowing that Paso was, had potential and some of the early, going back to some of the early, not even Alliance, PRW, PRWGA, I mean, even go the to the- Vintners. Even growers. Yeah, the, yeah, the, growers. Yeah, the and Grower Association. I mean, we used to talk about that as like, we want- the whole region to to succeed and you know i hope we all kind of take a little bit more inventory of that and try a little harder to 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 make sure that our whole area succeeds so gray wolf you're tasting a distillery up at crowbar people can come by you're tasting you are you are we doing food is that yeah yeah okay, the so kitchen's open i mean uh i've I'm, i got good fortune that uh um, Megan Lauren has been doing some food consulting for me, and she's wow, yeah. So she's been that's huge. She's been working with our our kitchen staff. Des is doing a fantastic job, and and she's been helping to kind of create the menu for us. She's and, awesome, and she is great. Megan's a wonderful person. And um, well, well, our last vacation was her last time up at Fort Bragg. She yeah. was moving back, yeah, and we went up to visit her up in Fort Bragg, and it was so much fun. We hung out, drank some bottles she's of wine. A, she's a she's a love gem. Megan. She's oh, a gem. Yeah. And her and Jeff, I mean, they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. And so she's been she's been helping working with the menu, and you know, just trying to really make it food centric and and, and wine centric. 
and uh, and Myra's you know been running the the, the the distillery bar in here and doing our tastings, but also you know offering some really really customized cocktails on the weekends and and she's getting really good at that's this this is one of the best like you know real straight up daiquiris I've ever had. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean here at Gray Wolf and Barton Family, <laughs> what we are trying to do is give a great experience for people. Yeah. You know, give them, give them a Paso experience. Give them the, come here, see the landscape, get a chance to really relax and enjoy yourself. This isn't a rush deal. I want you to stick around for a while. Is it graywolfsellers.com, bartonfamilywines.com? Where do we send people? Both. Okay. Go to both. It links. Very good. Go That's to technology. There you yeah, go. Yeah. I hired somebody who does it well for me. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you for making some time for me in the middle of a busy harvest. Your first one here. It was good to see you, Brad. Yeah. Good to see you too. This is amazing. It was cool. Brad was awesome he like went four barrels up and was thiefing some stuff for us way up there it was pretty rad yeah, and these things are tasting stuff. awesome good thank you appreciate it yeah yeah and joji you know i love you man thank you so much for having me thank you for uh, having me at this busy time and like you said it was like memory lane it's like going back 10 years ago but i mean in that 10 years i've, I've interviewed you uh, just a trillion times and i've uh, made a great friend out of you so thank you for everything right. much love dude yeah, yeah much love too i mean you've been a great friend and you're one of the first guys to reach out to, to think to uh, congratulate me for winemaker of the year and uh, that's that's that means a lot and yeah you know i think uh, there's a morning show of me and brad that needs to happen i really you know come down six to morning yeah we're gonna have you on the morning show yeah for sure exactly i, I always need an excuse to of course we should bring cocktails brad crashing up an atom in the morning with booze i love it thanks for showing us where wine tastes you the best adam thank you give me that time we'll get by we pass on around till the job is camped out in the trees it will simplify good company I would say leave some time and hang at Grey Wolf. You got the award-winning wine. You got those spirits. You got the kitchen there with some bomb food and great views of rolling West Side Paso all around you, 360 degrees. My thanks to Joji for the time and the friendship. Also to Joel Peterson. It was really great to connect with Joel again. I'm glad he is loving where wine takes you because we have more stories, more conversations, and more Paso to share. I'm excited for the next episode, too. I love a good American dream story, and I got one locked and loaded for you. There are many untold stories of Paso Robles, and I'm going to unearth one next time that has everything, all the ingredients that make Paso so special. Can't wait to share that next week. In the meantime, thank you again for hanging with me here. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. If you have not, you make a huge difference when you do. Thanks to Moonshiner Collective for the original music and where wine takes you. The song is called Good Company, and you can learn about Dan Curcio and Moonshiner Collective on Spotify or wherever you get your music or at moonshinercollective.com. Where Wine Takes You is executive produced by Joel Peterson and the Paso Robles Wine Country Alliance. The show was recorded, edited, and produced by yours truly. My name is Adam Montiel. I'm your host. And the next time you're on the Central Coast, check me out on the radio. My morning show, Up and Adam in the Morning, is on Coast 104.5. And the wine stuff, the cork dorks, and more on The Crush 92.5. Also, follow me on Instagram, at Adam on the Air. I'm posting more and more of what we do here on the pod. Plus, it's uh, great to connect with you. Next time you visit, make sure you hit up PasoWine.com. Before you do, you get the lay of the land. And really make sure your trip to Paso is exactly what you're looking to experience so you can explore where wine takes you.
Cheers. And give me that moonshine, we'll get by, we pass all around till the job is camped out in the trees, it will simplify, good comp, give me that moonshine, we'll get by, we pass all around till the job is camped out in the trees, it will simplify, good comp, give me that moonshine, we'll get by, we pass all around till the job is In the trees, you will simplify in good company. With that moonshine, we'll get by. We pass all around till the job is dry. Camped out in the trees, you will simplify in good company.